Good morning. Great to be here. Um, good morning also to uh, people watching on live streaming. Um, <clears throat> got some good news for you people at home watching and also for Rob, our cameraman, because um, I'll be standing right here. There, there, there was a time when I would be over there, but that time has passed. Um, when, when you get to the age of over 70, um, you, you can very easily have a fall. <laughs> now, when, when you're under 70, you fall over. But when you, uh, when you get to over 70, you have a fall. And I'm not having a fall this morning. I'm standing here holding on because you need to have something to support you when you get to that stage in life. Um, so good news, Rob. You just have to sit there this morning, okay? Um, I've been asked to uh, just to share some thoughts. So what we're going to be talking about this morning is just some thoughts that have uh, come to me in the last couple of weeks as I've, I've thought about this subject of Jesus and justice confronting the powerful which is part of our justice series. The first thing I want to do is I want to take you back 58 years. That's where I start. So it's going to be a long sermon. <laughs> I'm going back 58 years to when I was in school. And I tell you this story to tell a story. As you know, I love telling stories. And today I'm going to tell a story, but this story is going to be about me, not somebody else. Although I do have stories about other people. So first of all, this is my story 58 years ago. Um, it was exam time at school, the end of year exams. And um, we were having our examinations in, you remember, you know, I think they still have them, those portable things, you know, those weatherboard portables. They have three or four classrooms per portable with a long veranda down the front. The boys were at one end of the portable in a classroom. We were doing a science examination. The girls were at the other end of the portable. They were doing a biology examination because whether you believe this or not now, but in those days, only boys could do science and only girls could do biology. And it won't surprise you, but the boys finished first. We finished our exam first. And we had about 25 boys. And... Um, a couple of the boys went out of the classroom and they were standing on the veranda and they were talking and they were making a little bit of a noise and a teacher came out from the girls' section, uh, a male teacher, <clears throat> and he said, you guys, I will see all of you at the staff room at 12.30. Now, we knew what that meant. So we went to the staff room at 12.30, 25 boys or so, and we lined up, he lined us up along the corridor and he opened up the cupboard and he got out a cane which was about that big and he just, you know, swirled it around a couple of times so we knew what was going to happen. And so every boy was given four cuts of the cane for <coughs> bad behaviour. <clears throat> now to me, even at that young age, that was an injustice because only about two or three boys had done anything. The rest of us got the cane. But he had the authority. He had the power. And that's what he did to us. Now I'm going to fast forward 25 years. 1985. 
and I'm working at the Illawarra Mercury newspaper. And I'd just been appointed the features editor, which means you were in charge of making sure Weekend Magazine was, uh, uh, came out and magazines happened during the week. And one of the things that happened was we had a number of contributors. And they were people who actually, from the community, some might write about movies, some might write about drama. And my ex-teacher was the drama critic. And he came in and he looked and he said, oh, Ron's not here today. I said, no, I'm Ron now. He said, oh. He said, uh, do I know you? I said, I know you. And he said, oh, he said, well, look, here's my column. And he gave it to me. And that's what I did with it. I put it in the bin. Thank you. I felt so good. I felt justice had happened that day. And he said to me, you don't like it? I said, I don't like you. <laughs> he said, why? So I told him. And he said, are you going to publish it? I said, yes, after you've gone. And I took it out of the bin and I unscrewed it up, you know, and it was published. And after he'd gone, I felt so good, but then I felt, you know what? That's not justice, is it? That was revenge. That was retaliation. But I published it for him. And that's the way it was. So justice, that wasn't justice. Look, we don't live in a just world. <clears throat> we really don't. While children in their millions go to bed every night hungry, there isn't justice. While children are sexually abused in homes, church-run homes, and church leaders pretend it didn't happen, there's no justice. While people are disadvantaged because of the colour of their skin, or their gender, or their religion, and while human trafficking and slavery continue, there is injustice. While women can't walk the streets at night, or through parks, there's injustice. And while banks charge people for services they don't provide, there is injustice. You get the picture, don't you? There is injustice everywhere. And often the injustice is committed by people in powerful positions, people who have the power, and they use it. Just this week, two journalists in Myanmar were each sentenced to seven years in jail. And their crime was they exposed the atrocities of the Myanmar army against refugees. That's injustice. There are brave people in our world who challenge injustice. I want to tell you a couple of stories about those people. These are just a couple of people I've heard about. I was watching Songs of Praise a couple of weeks ago, and a guy was on there called Henry Alongo. Henry played um, cricket for Zimbabwe, and Henry was a black man. In the 2003 World Cup, Henry and his captain Andy Flower wore black armbands to protest human rights violations under Robert Mugabe's government. Henry received death threats. He was charged with treason. And ever since then, in 2003, 
He's lived in exile in Britain, never to return to his homeland. Andy Flower was forced to retire. And like Henry, he lived in England. He actually became the England cricket coach. And Andy Flower later said, and listen to this, this is important for us. We can't all change the world, but if we all do little things along the way, we can bring some change. I'll say that again. We can't all change the world, but if we all do little things along the way, we can bring some change. Now, I worked with a very brave journalist called Peter Cullen. Peter Cullen was the editor of the Illawarra Mercury. And um, in the early 1980s, Peter called me into the office and he said, we've got to decide what we're going to do about this. But he said, um, I've had an ex-priest, Catholic priest, talk to me. And he's told me about a young man who came to see him. And this young man talked about being abused by a priest. Peter was a Catholic. His brother was a priest. His sister was a nun. Peter attended Mass every Sunday morning. And he respected his church. And he said, but I've got to tell this story about the abuse by a priest of this young man. And he did. And another story came. And another story came. And another story came about abuse of children by priests. This was 30 years before the Royal Commission. 30 years. And Peter took it on himself to reveal this. He was very brave because he was ridiculed by his church. He was ridiculed by his friends. We were forever being told, stop reporting this stuff. Nobody wants to know about it. It's a secret. And Peter said, no, it isn't. It's injustice. And so he made a big issue of it. 30 years before the Royal Commission. That was courage. And Peter died of a heart attack before the Royal Commission was called. There's a Salvation Army Commissioner called Alastair Cairns, and some of you will know of him. And he was the uh, territorial commander in South Africa. He was the commander in South Africa during the apartheid days, those horrible apartheid days when black people didn't matter. And um, the churches, particularly the churches, were supporting apartheid. And so white people weren't allowed into the churches. And when he came back to Australia, I asked Commissioner Alastair Cairns how he coped with that and how did the Salvation Army fit into all that apartheid stuff? And he said, I'll tell you a story. He said the combined churches of the city in which he was based held a, uh, a big event in the local showgrounds and all the churches were invited to attend and the Salvation Army was invited to attend. And Salvation Army, he said, we had black people in our call. And he said, we got a bus, we booked a bus and we went to the showgrounds and as we pulled up, security guards came into the bus and looked around and said, you've got black people in your bus, they can't come in. 
And Alistair Cairns said, well, what I want you to do is, I want you to go and see the organisers of this event. And what I want you to say to them is this, the Salvation Army has black people in their bus and God loves them and so do we. And if they can't come in, the Salvation Army is not coming in and the Salvation Army is not supporting your event. And so the security guards went off and had a chat and they came back and they said, it's okay, you can come in. Alistair Cairns took a stand, you see, against injustice. People need to do that. Now, William Booth was a man who understood injustice and you'll know this quote, but I'm going to put it up here anyway. While women weep, as they do now, I'll fight. And while little children go hungry as they do now, I'll fight. And while men go to prison, in and out, and in and out, as they do now, I'll fight. And while there was a drunkard left, while there was a poor lost girl upon the streets, while there remains one dark soul without the love of God, I'll fight and I'll fight to the very end. And that was the founder of our organisation. And that's what he said about injustice. And I think it's on the uh, 1st of uh, December, we become one uh, territory in Australia. And there's a national vision statement that says, wherever there is hardship or injustice, salvos will fight, love and fight, or live, love and fight alongside others to transform Australia one life at a time with the love of Jesus, with the love of Jesus. Did you get that? We're not going to fight on our own, but we're going to fight with the love of Jesus. That's our national vision statement. That's the statement on behalf of salvationists, on who, of who we are. Now, just some, some explanations here. God hates injustice. We need to know that. God hates injustice no matter whether it's committed against his people or by his people and sometimes he surprises us with the way he acts. The life group I belong to certainly got a shock a few weeks ago. We've been studying the um, minor prophets, the 12 last books of the Old Testament and one of those books was Habakkuk and so here is a prophet Habakkuk. Uh, he was around about 600 years before Christ and uh, he was a prophet in the land of Judah, uh, which is southern Israel, capital Jerusalem. So if you can picture Judah being southern Israel, capital Jerusalem. And uh, he was having a hard time with the people of Judah, God's people in Judah, because <clears throat> they were worshipping idols. The injustice in that country was incredible so bad that Habakkuk said to God, why do you make me look at injustice? There's violence everywhere I look. And this is what God said, this is what God said to Habakkuk, I will not leave the guilty unpunished. This is the shock part. Because what God says is, I'm going to handle this, don't worry about this, but I'll tell you how I'm going to handle it. What I'm going to do is I'm going to bring the army of the Babylonians in to sort it out. The Babylonians were the most hated army in the known world. 
They were the enemy of the Hebrews, the Jews. They were violent, they were treacherous, they were horrible. Uh, what they did, they were torturous, what they did to people. They were the most feared army in the world at the time. And God said, I'm bringing them in here to sort you people out. Now, isn't that interesting? I wonder if that still happens. I wonder if God still looks at, you know, his world and says, I'm going to bring them in to sort this bit out. But that's what he did. In Habakkuk's time, God brought the Babylonians in and the Babylonians completely took over the land of Judah and they destroyed the temple that Solomon built and they took tens of thousands of the Hebrews um, captive and they took them back to Babylon and they lived there for nearly a hundred years in captivity and when God decided it was time he sent the Persian army into Babylon to defeat the Babylonians and free the Hebrews and they were able to go back to Judah. God hates injustice Jesus hates injustice as well he hated the injustice of the religious leaders of his day the Pharisees the powerful people Jesus had no doubt about his mission in this world uh, Luke reports that Jesus was standing in the synagogue in Nazareth and any, any man could apply to speak in the synagogue or to read in the synagogue, and Jesus must have applied, and Luke has Jesus standing in the synagogue in Nazareth, where Jesus was born, and Jesus reads from Isaiah, and he reads this part from Isaiah. The Spirit of the Lord is on me. He has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom to the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. And then Jesus said, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. He was talking about himself. Jesus knew what his mission was. He came to bring justice, to stand against injustice. Now Luke reports another story. It's in Luke chapter 6 verses 6 to 11. And this is what Luke reported. On another Sabbath, he, Jesus, went into the synagogue and he was teaching. And a man was there whose right hand was shriveled. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus. This was about keeping the Sabbath law and keeping it holy. And so they watched him closely to see if he would heal on the Sabbath. But Jesus knew what they were thinking and he said to the man with the shriveled hand, get up and stand in front of everyone so he did get up and he stood there and Jesus said to them the Pharisees and the teachers now I ask you this question which is lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil to save life or to destroy it and he looked around at them all and then he said to the man stretch out your hand he did so and his hand was completely restored but they, the Pharisees and the teachers, were furious. They were furious that Jesus had healed a man on the Sabbath day. And they began to discuss with one another what they might do to Jesus. You see, Jesus chose justice for this man. The religious leaders, the powerful, they chose injustice. They couldn't care less. It was a Sabbath. Nothing should happen on that day. Jesus expands on this in Matthew chapter 23, verse 23, where he says, 
Woe to you, teachers of the law and the Pharisees, you hypocrites. You do a good thing. You give one-tenth of your spices, and that's good. Your tithe. That's the law. That's great. That's what you do. But you have neglected the more important matters of the law. You've done a good thing, you've tithed, but you've, you have neglected the most important matters of the law. And those important matters of the law are justice, mercy, and faithfulness. They'd put the religious law ahead of love, ahead of justice, and ahead of mercy, which Jesus said were more important. And so now we go to the reading that Philip brought us. While Jesus was often angry with the religious leaders for their strictness in applying the law, he shows a beautiful sensitivity in showing Zacchaeus how he needed to change. Zacchaeus was powerful because of his position as a chief tax collector. And so this is how Luke records it. Jesus entered Jericho and he was passing through. And a man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and he was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was. But being a short man, he could not because of the crowd. So he ran ahead and he climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and he said, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So Zacchaeus came down at once and he welcomed Jesus gladly. And all the people saw this and they began to mutter, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. Okay, the point here is that as a tax collector, a chief tax collector at that, Zacchaeus would have been despised by the Jewish people in Jericho. Zacchaeus was collecting taxes from the Jews, not for his own community, but for the Roman Empire. And the Roman Empire had invaded their country and making life very difficult for them. So Zacchaeus, in their, in their eyes, was a traitor. He was corrupt and he was a sinner. But even so, Jesus went to his house. And back to the reading, but Zacchaeus stood up and he said to the Lord, Lord, look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. And Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house because, of this, man, because this man too is the son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and to save what was lost. Hmm. That's what happens when you invite Jesus to dinner. And uh, maybe we need to invite Jesus to dinner and have that conversation with him. In the case of Zacchaeus, there were two significant outcomes. The first was a social outcome. Zacchaeus realised his injustice and he compensated those he had ripped off and he stopped the rip-off practice. The second was a spiritual outcome. Salvation has come to this house, Jesus said. So there was a social outcome and a spiritual outcome 
of Zacchaeus meeting Jesus. And maybe that's the way, I think John alluded to that a little in what he was saying earlier, the way we approach things. This was one way in which Jesus approached it. And Zacchaeus got the message with sensitivity. And there was also a spiritual reaction to it as well. So like Zacchaeus, we're called to be just, just in our relationships and our actions. Because we can be in positions of power too. And think about this, we can be in positions of power as a husband, as a wife, as parents, as children, in our work and in our relationships with other people, we can be in a position of power and influence. And we need to look at how Jesus handled that. So I'm going to suggest maybe we should invite Jesus to dinner, so to speak, to see what he has to say about our injustice, to see what he has to say to us about the way or the things we need to do about the injustice of others. Because God does require his people to be just. He also requires us to take a stand against injustice. And if we are to be Christ-like, then like Jesus, we are to preach the good news to the poor, to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of the sight for the blind and to release the oppressed. We can't all change the world, as Andy Flower said, but if we all do little things along the way, then we can bring some change. Now, Major Phil Inglis over the last couple of months has been using what's called a Franciscan benediction. And uh, this is a benediction which is um, something that, this is, incident, it's not the benediction for the meeting, this is just the end of the, end of the message, okay? So don't get up and go now. Um, but, but this Franciscan benediction challenges us in the way we act in terms of justice and injustice because while we might want to talk about the powerful and we might want to look at governments and politicians and whatever uh, as the powerful, we too have power and influence amongst the people uh, we mix with. And so here's the benediction that I want to share with you. May God bless you with a restless discomfort about easy answers and half-truths and superficial relationships so that you may seek truth boldly and love deep within your heart. May God bless you with holy anger at injustice, oppression and exploitation of people so that you may tirelessly work for justice, freedom and peace among all people. May God bless you with the gift of tears to shed for those who suffer from pain, rejection, starvation, or the loss of all that they cherish, so that they may reach out, or so that you may reach out your hand to comfort them and transform their pain into joy. May God bless you, and I love this part, may God bless you with enough foolishness to believe that you really can make a difference in this world so that you are able, with God's grace, to do what others claim cannot be done. And so I hope 
something has struck a chord with you this morning. Maybe you need to do something about an injustice you've done to somebody. And we can start with our families, you know. We can start with our families and then move out into the world. Maybe it's time to forgive an injustice done to you and let God show you the way to justice and mercy. And so as Anne sings, like Zacchaeus, invite Jesus to dinner in your mind, in your heart where you are, and let him speak to you. 